Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me great pleasure to welcome our guest today, Raymond Grace, the author of The Future is Yours, Do Something About It, Techniques That Work for Me, Seasons of April, How to Help Your Kids Succeed, and many, many more books. He is the founder of the Raymond Grace Foundation. He is internationally known as one of the most consummate dowsers in the world who teaches people not only about dowsing, how to clean water, how to empower their lives, how to get away from being victims. He's been invited to speak all over the world and all over the United States. He even has taught how to reduce violence in schools, eliminate abuse of women and children, as well as physical and mental benefits for individuals. He's a beloved man, and we welcome him to its rainmaking time. Good morning, Raymond Grace. Good morning, and thank you for the opportunity to be on your show. I'm so excited to have you here. You know, dowsing is becoming more popular, even though there tends to be a great mystery about it. But you take a lot of the mystery away by making it very simply understood. And I was wondering if you could share with the audience how you translate dowsing. Well, I don't think I can do any better than my old friend Walt Woods said, dowsing is simply mother's intuition with a readout device. Uh, I use a 45 caliber bullet on a chain for a pendulum, and I'm probably the one of the few people in the world that does something like that. <laughs> we actually uh, make them because when people see mine, they want some. But anyway, uh, it doesn't really matter what you use for a pendulum. And, uh, well, I don't really know why it works. It just does. The what I, way I would describe it is that dowsing tells you what you already know intuitively, but you don't really believe you know it. So if a pendulum will move without any muscular effort on your part and give you a yes or a no, or if you're using a chart, give you a numerical value of something, such as food or drink, uh, then there's got to be something here more than the five senses. There's got to be something more here than what we might call conventional wisdom. Uh, so is it a mystery? Well, I don't know. Maybe in a way everything is a mystery. I guess the flowers blooming are a mystery in a way. So it's a tool. Doubting is not a cure to everything. It is simply a tool that, in my opinion, the way I describe it, it helps stack the deck of life in your favor. So if a person is, uh, let's say a competent doubter, is looking for a place to drill a well, and he finds a spot, and a well is dug there, and a vein of water is found, producing the foretold gallons per minute at the foretold depth, and this is done repeatedly over many years, there's got to be something a little bit extra here. And many dowsers have that kind of success. I am not a water dowser. As a matter of fact, I've probably never found over half a dozen wells in my entire life because uh, people don't ask me to do that very much. What people ask me to do is find things within their body, help um, uh, help their uh, their home life, uh, help their job opportunities, uh, clean up schools, uh, clean up energy, basically change energy. So right here are the three principles upon which all my uh, work is based. Number one, all things are composed of energy, and the intelligent human mind has the ability to direct energy. 
Principle number two, energy is impressed upon matter. And principle number three, energy follows thought. I want to talk a little bit about the concept and the reality of changing energy. Because I think that for some people who are very left-brained, very logical, it sounds way out. What do you mean by change energy? Okay, let's start at the very basics here. There was an old Apache Indian medicine man that a fellow by the name of Tom Brown wrote about in his books. Tom Brown is, in my opinion, the world's foremost survivalist, and I took some shaman training from him. And this old man, who was born in the late or mid-1870s, had a saying that went something like this. He referred to the energy that moves in all things. Well, I pondered that for a number of years, not fully understanding what it meant. And one day, I received a phone call from a friend who said, I want to tell you what the scientists have discovered. Now, everyone, or most everyone, has seen a drawing of an atom. It has a nucleus, it has protons and electrons revolving around the nucleus. And he said, what these scientists have found is this space, which is vast in comparison to the size of the protons and neutrons uh, and electrons. He said, uh, this space is not empty. And the scientists have discovered this. They have found that it contains energy. And I'm thinking, okay, that's what that old Indian medicine man knew. Science has finally caught up with him. So I pulled out a pendulum to dial this matter and see if I could get some more information about it. So my first question was, does the dowsing system, I usually refer to it that way. Sometimes I refer to it as the spirit world. And I think both are interchangeable. Uh, does the dowsing system understand the atom? And I got a yes on that. Is there energy within the space of the atom between protons and electrons? Yes. Does this energy have intelligence? Yes. Does this intelligent energy respond to human thought? Yes. Well, everything that exists within our world, our physical bodies, the food we eat, the water we drink, the earth on which we live, is composed of atoms. Therefore, this intelligent energy would be in everything that exists. If it is in everything, it would of necessity be everywhere. If it is everywhere, then there is no word that it isn't. And for any Bible scholars out there, that's the definition of God. But bottom line, it responds to human thought. Clear. So now, with respect to changing energy, let's take some applications in which you would be called upon to change the energy in something or somewhere. So the audience has some specific applications. Okay, fine. Uh, I am uh, friends with a Canadian Mountie, and uh, this person was working, and I'll be just a little bit vague on this. That's fine. Uh, so as not to identify the person. But uh, this person was working in an Eskimo village up near the Arctic Circle. And the crime there was just rampant, violent crime. And this person, well, they only had one assistant, and backup had to be flown in an hour and a half away, weather permitting. And this person said, I'm actually afraid to go to work every day. I took this village, whom I, that, uh, the Mountie was the only person I knew there, and I started cleaning up the energy. Now, I can uh, expand on that in just a few moments. But I started cleaning up the energy in this, this village. That was in September, I believe, of 03, if I remember correctly. 
may have been later than that. Timing isn't important. By January, I received a very nice, detailed letter of how the violent crime had dropped to zero. Now, I received this morning an email from a school administrator, and I will be, uh, won't give the location, but he was, he gave me some uh, figures on this. I don't recall them exactly, but last year, before we implemented this energy work on his school, there were something like 1,200 and some, I think they refer to this as referrals to the office, that is, kids misbehaving for one reason or another, get sent to the office. After we cleaned up the school this year, there were a little over 200 referrals. And he is very delighted and wants to continue to work on it. As a matter of fact, his, the letter he sent me this morning will be in my newsletter that I send out oh, probably either in April or June. And if anybody out there wants to get our newsletter, just go to our site, RaymondGrace.us, and sign yourself up for free. There's no obligation at, at all. Um, so uh, my name is spelled R-A-Y-M-O-N. There's no D on it. R-A-Y-M-O-N-G-R-A-C-E dot U-S. And uh, we, we're glad to share this information with anyone that wants it. We are currently reaching uh, 55 countries with this information. Now, with respect to the cleaning up the energy, that's a very good application. Some people listening are going to be saying to themselves, what does the guy do? What is he doing to affect that? And do we have access to it? So first, what are you doing? Uh, well, yes, ma'am. Um, I can briefly describe it on here. It is basically intent with the power of a focused mind. Dowsing is simply a way to achieve it. Now, can you do this without dowsing? Yes. Uh, dowsing just helps people to believe more in what they're doing. But the real bottom line is the power of intent with a focused mind. Most people's minds just aren't focused. They're scattered all over the board. And a scattered mind does not have the power of a focused mind. The power of the human mind, well, we, we have barely scratched the surface. Yeah, we've done some pretty good stuff. I have been able to take arsenic out of water and have a test by the Canadian government proving this. We have been able to uh, lower violence and bring about more peaceful working conditions in schools and uh, more peaceful conditions in homes, offices. Uh, we know the stuff works. Now, there are exceptions to probably everything except the law of gravity. So what I'm telling you is true most of the time, but I, I don't recall really seeing anywhere that this wouldn't work. Now, right here is the key to it that a lot of folks miss. For some reason, we seem to need a person physically on location requesting help. What I'm saying is, uh, if we got anybody out there thinking, well, why don't he just uh, spin this uh, pendulum around and clean up the world? It just don't work like that, folks. Uh, you've got to have somebody physically on location willing to make a change. And whenever I was working with the Eskimo village up there, I had not only the support, but the request of the Canadian Mountie who wanted to improve conditions. So in this request for help, is the intent for a manifestation or a state change in something, correct? And through that intent, you're called upon. So isn't that underlying the request, the intent for a change? 
and the intent to be part of it, correct? Please correct me if I'm wrong, but what, as I understand it, you're saying is that someone uh, has to ask for help, and I'm combining very intent with mine, or if I miss the point here. Well, at least to have the intent to have something changed. Oh, yes. For yes. the better. I, I think we're saying the same thing with different Right. So they've called upon you. There's already the intent. There's the inherent receptivity to what you're doing for something to happen, even if they don't understand what you're doing. Correct? Oh, they don't have to understand it. Okay. All they have to do is desire something to happen. Most of the people I work with do not understand it. It is helpful if they do, but the fact is most of them don't. Are you a shaman, if you will? I have no titles whatsoever. I have no letters after my name. I'm just a mountain man that learned how to move energy. I hear what you're saying about you don't need the credential necessarily or a title, but do you have capability like that of a shaman? Well, I never make claims on anything. I just I can tell what we did, but I will say this. I did take uh, some shaman training once upon a time, and I have been friends with a number of what I refer to as Indian medicine people, both in the U.S. and Canada. So do they consider me one of them? Well, yes, the ones I was friends with did. Okay. So there's definitely influences that way. Can we speak a little bit about cleaning the arsenic out of the water? Now, yes, ma'am. I'll be glad to do that. Yeah. What's the science and technology associated with that since you're not doing it in an ordinary way or a way that most people would comprehend well, I am. Um, back in July of '02, my friend and I were traveling across Canada, and a lot of folks knew about us and would invite us to stop and spend the night with them if we were in their area. And we accepted these invitations as long as it was fairly convenient. And one person right outside of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, asked uh, if we would come by and spend the night. So we happened to come there at about the appropriate time. And after dinner that evening, he said, um, I wonder if you could help me with the water uh, in my well. And I said, well, I would, would if I could. What's the problem? He said, well, it's full of arsenic. He said it is, according to scientific uh, tests, it is dangerously uh, full of arsenic. And the numbers he gave was after the running this water through the best filtering systems that can be had it still contains 46 parts of arsenic per million and 10 parts per million is the accepted safe level i said well how much is in the unfiltered water and he said we didn't even bother to test it it's loaded with it well this was a well that was capped off normally i would have energized some water in a glass and poured it down the well that's the standard way of doing it but we couldn't do that. So I said, well, I will work on it the best I can. Let me know whenever you have it tested again. About two months later, I received a very enthusiastic phone call. He said, you've just taken 90% of the arsenic out of the water. I said, okay, fine. Have it tested again sometime later and let me know again. A year later, it was tested by the Canadian government, and they could barely find a trace of arsenic. So where did it go? Well, I'll tell you where I think it went. My intent was to turn arsenic into water. There is a term I use, and I call it scramble the frequency. And I use this for pollutants of various types. And it seems to work. 
Basically, every element vibrates at its own specific frequency. If we can change that frequency, then it becomes something else. Now, I didn't get this information through study because I have absolutely no scientific background whatsoever. I suppose eighth grade science was as close as I ever got to studying anything like this. So some of the information comes from just tuning in to what I call the source of information. You might call it your higher self, your higher consciousness, the great spirit, God, or whatever you might want to call it. Uh, but if we can tune into this source, then we can receive information that is not uh, available by other means. And the first time I did this was at a well called Blue Springs, Arkansas. And I was told that this water was um, had been polluted due to the runoff from uh, farming and fertilizing and livestock and so on. And I went out there, I'm going to greatly condense this story, <clears throat> and was sitting there, uh, actually I had my feet in the water trying to communicate with the water. I'm thinking, okay, I would really like to help this situation, but I don't have a clue what to do. And all at once... I would just call it a thought. It was almost like a voice in my head that says, scramble the frequency of the pollutants and adjust them to the frequency of pure water. I did that. The water was tested sometime after that, and according to the feedback I got, I believe it was some type of environmental organization, uh, Nature Conservancy, if I remember correctly, that tested, and they said, this is the purest water we have ever tested. Wow. What I've, done, what I've done is made a film. Actually, on George Norris. Uh, Coast to Coast Radio show about, I guess it was seven years ago uh, in March. Uh, George kind of threw me a curve, and he said, we've got about five, ten million listeners out there tonight. What if they set a complaint of water by the radio? Can you uh, change the energy of it? And I said, well, I don't know, but I'm not going to miss the opportunity to find out. The worst I'm going to do is look silly, and that's not too important. So George asked the folks to set containers of water by the radio, and during the station break, I started working on the water. Now, by working on it, there are certain things that affect the quality of water. I've just learned this over the years, and I was working mentally to make those corrections. Now, yes, I was using dowsing on this, but I don't know if that was necessary. Uh, I think it was intent that did it. And after the station break, the folks starts calling in, and the water tastes different. Some people drank it, and the aches and pains disappeared. Well, George and I have have uh, repeated that uh, experiment three times, and we got equal or better results each time. So I figured, okay, if it's possible to change the energy of water, where I don't even know where the water is, over radio waves, we can do it with a film. So we created a film called Energized Water, and by golly, it worked. I have a lot of testimonials coming in. Uh, from people on this. Now, I would really like to get into a lot of uh, details on this. You're most welcome to. Stories, but we don't really have the time. We just got to hit the high spots. Actually, if you want to get into some of it, I've made time for you today, so that's totally oh, your okay. call. That's fine. All right. Uh, probably the one that got my attention the most was in Dallas, Texas, uh, two years ago. There was a nice couple there from Austin, and they said, our swimming pool literally has a brown tint to it. We will not drink the water. We buy bottled water, and we don't really want to take a bath in it, but we don't have much choice. Could you help us? I said, well, I will try. They said, now, this is just characteristic of the water in that area where we live. By the time I get home, 
there's an email waiting on me saying, we have the sweetest tasting water we have ever tasted, and our pool is sparkling clear. It was that way by the time we got home, which is roughly a two-hour drive. Wow. Now, that, and, oh, this lady sponsored me uh, in Austin the following year, which was, I guess, about a year ago in, in March. And she told the audience, she said, the pool is still sparkling, the water still tastes wonderful. Now, this can be done, as far as I know, anywhere in the world. I haven't cornered the market on this stuff. I've made a film showing people how to do it. Um, I've done everything I know to do to put the word out there to show people that you can have better quality water than what you have. So we don't have all of the answers, but we have enough that we can teach people how they can have better drinking water. This is almost like alchemy and transformation directed through intent, correct? I'd say that's a pretty fair statement. People are going to be saying, what can you do to clean up the economy? <laughs> Well, the economy of... is based on greed and control by corrupt people. Yes. you got to clean up the people. You can't wave a magic wand and make everybody prosperous. It don't happen. Right. I understand that. But let's talk about an application. There's a lot of people both here in America and outside the country. I know that you work with people about their bodies and the food that they eat and healing. Do you work with people to get more clients, to increase their business? Yes, I do. I actually created a film on that called Prosperity and Freedom because I got to thinking one day, why are most people neither prosperous nor free? Now, they may think they're free because they've been told that, but when you analyze it, it doesn't take you have to look very far to find out that they're really not that free. What they do, they have freedom to ask permission. That's not really true freedom. If you have to ask permission, you don't have freedom. So uh, I made a film uh, with everything I could think of about uh, what prevented people from having prosperity and freedom. And if you don't mind, I'll give a couple of examples. Please. Back in, I believe it was 04, when there was a claim made that there was a mad cow found in Alberta, and people panicked, and it was all in the news, and they closed the Canadian borders down to beef exporting, and people were afraid to eat a steak or a hamburger. And all the beef farmers lost a lot of money. Well, I happened to be friends with a fellow that was not only a cattle rancher, but he also owned a processing plant. Now, I realize this won't be of any interest to the vegetarians, but it's not about eating habits. It's about energy. So this man lost a million dollars the first week. And I happened to be visiting him at the time, and I talked the matter over, and I said, you know, this is nothing more than fear. Uh, the fear that is within the mass consciousness of the people. Yes. Fear is simply a form of energy. I've been saying for years that we can change energy. Now is the time to see if it'll work. So what I did, and there's no secret on this at all, there's nothing more than what I'm going to tell you, I simply did some intent to, and some dowsing with intent is the best way to say it, to transform fear into prosperity and direct it to him. Within two weeks, he had his million dollars back making a good profit. My other success story, he was my number one winner in prosperity for a while. I try to keep up with my winners out there. <laughs> I like to produce winners. Losers are bad advertisement. So... Uh, 
Uh, my friend Jeff Jones uh, in Bristol, Tennessee, and I've made, uh, I have Jeff in the water uh, DVD because Jeff has lived for 14 years without eating a meal. He lives on a gallon of water a day. If you want to discuss that later, we will. But I want, right now, I want to talk about his prosperity. Uh, when I took Jeff on as a project, when I first started learning a few things about this, I didn't have all the answers, but I had a few, so I never wait till I know everything. If I learn something, I try to put it to use immediately. And he was uh, a good person. I had just just had met him a, a little while earlier. And to sum it up, and I'm uh, Jeff tells these stories himself whenever he's with me, and he also t- tells this on the film of Prosperity and Freedom. But he was something like four hundred dollars in debt due to um, the being in business with the wrong person and the other person bailing out on him. And he, oh, this is what I admired about him. He had too much integrity to take bankruptcy. He said, one way or the other, I'm going to pay this off by myself. He was how much in debt? About 400000 400000 And at the time, his income was somewhere between eight and $12,000 a year. Got I mean, it. simple math tells you that one isn't going to get paid off. I took Jeff on as a project. Last year, he called me one morning and said, you know, I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate you helping me. You know what kind of shape I was in then. He said, I just thought I'd tell you that this week I got contracts for $12 million. Wow. Last, three weeks ago, he and I went down near Knoxville, Tennessee one day, and he said, just thought you might want to know I got contracts for $2 million this week. This is a man that was that far in debt, making not even hardly enough to live on, that came that far. I love stories like that. What do you attribute it to? Changing energy. There's nothing else to attribute it to. How much of it do you feel it resides with your instrument as a being plus the tool of dowsing? Like, isn't a lot of it what you, the instrument, is doing, what your intent is, the consciousness you're applying to him and his situation? Well, it wasn't just mine. It was his because right. he has become one of the sharpest people I have ever taught in putting this work to use. I didn't do it for him. All I did was share the information with him and get him started. Yes, I, I still work with him. We work together uh, almost once a week by phone, but he had to do something for himself. I, I, I do not want to make, it take, make any insinuation that I did it for him. All I did was share information. He was smart enough to take it and run with it. So did he do this also through dowsing as well? Uh, Jeff didn't even douse. He uses his mind. He just pretends he has a pendulum and he pretends he has a chart. He pretends he knows which swings. This is a man who, in his words, was the most allergic person on the planet. He couldn't even wear blue jeans because he was allergic to the dye. He was on four different kinds of allergy medication, taking shots uh, at least once a month. Whenever he and I got together and I started explaining some of this stuff to him, he threw all his medication away and in the first place he was in. Now, this is a man I had never met before. And I'm showing people how to energize a small cup of water because at the time that was all I knew how to do. That was back in 97. He's sitting in the audience and he said, you're changing the energy of water? You're putting energy in that water? I said, yeah, I think so. Well, if you're putting energy in it, then can I put vitamins and minerals in it? And I said, I don't know of any reason you can't. 
he hasn't had a meal since. It's been 14 years. Are you serious? Now, yes, all the medical po- professional people tell me it can't be done. I have spoken to some of the top doctors in America at their at their meetings. They invited me to come to speak. I took Jeff with me, kind of a show and tell. So uh, they, they kept saying, this is impossible. And I said, well, he does a lot of driving across America, and most of it alone. He'd probably welcome some company. Why don't you go hang out with him on a trip or so and see if you can catch him eating anything? I hadn't been able to do it. This reminds me of the breatharians, how they breathe. You've heard of a breatharian? I've heard of them, yes. Well, basically, they use breath as their nourishment, but they don't eat food. Wow. He is the only person I know of that has done this. Now, he likes salt. And every now and then, Jeff and some of my buddies and I go to a gun show down in Tennessee, and every time we do, I take them all out to a Mexican restaurant. And I've actually caught Jeff eating a couple of corn chips. He put salt on them. But I also see him a lot of times just put a, a little bit of salt out in the, in his hand and just pop it in his mouth like that. That's pretty wild. Let's talk about healing the body. And people that want to lose weight, they have too much fat on their body or they are not feeling well physically. Everybody is clamoring to supplements and medications and running to the gym and lifting weights and the whole epidemic almost, I don't know about around the world, but definitely in the U.S. Well, probably more in the U.S. than other places, but let me just uh, say I am not any authority on weight loss by any means. Uh, I'm probably not capable of talking. My time could be spent better on other things. But uh, if you will look at older pictures, uh, back, oh, let's say before 1950, and it, or maybe even before 60, um, there weren't many fat people back then. Um, most, ever, most of the folks were slim. Um, I mean, there were some, yes, but not nearly what there is today. Well, we didn't have all the fast food places. Back then, more people ate at home, and uh, there were more people that had gardens then. They grew their own food. Uh, I think that we're physically, we're what we eat. Mentally, we're what we think. So people are putting just way too much junk and garbage in their body, and this is what you get. My question to you is not, are you a weight loss expert? My question to you is, if people are calling you and they're ill, and they would like to call upon you to help them get well, or they want to lose weight and they haven't been able to do it, can they call upon you for assistance with dowsing to find out what is the problem? In a word, yes. But let's, I always like to be as honest and open as I can here. There's been very few people that I have ever been able to help lose weight. Now, it may be that they had some kind of a block against it. Maybe they kept eating what they were eating without exercise. That's a possibility. But let me say it and answer your question another way. Can we help people be healthier with these methods? Well, I believe that. I'm older than dirt, and I have <laughs> the last time I took anything, I think I had aspirin about 35, 37 years ago. I take no medication whatsoever. I don't wear glasses, and I still run chainsaws and climb mountains and all this stuff. And um, so... Am I an authority on this? No, but whatever I did seems to be working. And I think a lot of it's in our mind. I think there's a mentality that as you get older, 
your body starts to break down. And if you buy into this mentality, it's going to happen. I just refuse to buy into it. But let's go another step here. I have spent several years trying to figure out what affects both humans, animals, and places. Um, and I have a, a rather extensive list. I guess there's probably 60 or so items on it. And when I'm working with a client on the phone, I simply just go through uh, this list and find out if it's affecting these people. If it is, I change it, and I tell them how to help themselves so they don't have to contact me again. I'm really not looking for repeat clients. I like to help people help themselves. I work differently than most anybody else in this business. And uh, what I call it is self-empowerment. So I'm not in the guru business by any means. I'm in the self-empowerment business. I like to help people to take control of their life. Now, let me just hit some spots here among the more common things that I find. And the next two newsletters that I'm writing are based at least partially on this. And so many people work in what I call an energetic disaster. They send their kids into energetic disasters called schools. Well, if the folks don't understand energy, and most folks don't, I'm not beating them down, I'm just stating a fact. I did used to be I didn't understand it either. But across the America, and I, I check this out about every week, wherever I am doing a class, talking to people, I say, how many of you folks got kids in school? And when the hands goes up, I start checking out the energy of the schools. Well, most of them are in very low energetic environments. Definitely. This will affect the energy of a human body. That's the first That's the first thing I would say is people are putting their body in a low energy environment. Uh, I made a film. Uh, the, I've made 30 films, uh, and I kept six of them for myself. I donated the other 24 as a fundraiser to the foundation, and they can be found on the foundation site, which is Raymond Grace foundation.org, but one was called Energetic Epidemics. Now, we're living in a very unique time that none of our ancestors ever experienced. I have been measuring energy of the earth and of people for 13 years now, and I have seen the energy of the earth and people rise. Now, that's the ideal energy. There's a difference in what is ideal and what is. Exactly. people are not ideal. But the energy has risen about 650%. Okay, when I, I contact a client, or they, they write me, and uh, I don't take phone calls. They send their phone number, and I call them. But the first question is always, what is their energy level? And then, if it's real low, I will go through this checklist to find out why it's low. So let me just rattle off just a few of them. One is working in low-energy environment. Another is you can measure literally anything with dowsing. And these are things that the medical profession apparently doesn't know and folks just don't seem to think about. But you can measure how much love is in a body. Now, you can do this with an animal also. I was working on a a behavior problem for a dog last night, and I said the dog didn't feel love when it was born, or the pup didn't. And the man writes back, and he said, it's strange you'd pick this up because there were 15 pups, and this one sure didn't get much attention. Wow. Well, that affects the energy of a person. I find this in humans, uh, oh, at least once a week. Uh, Another is uh, each body part has its own unique energy and intelligence. 
Now, I've already explained that, that everything uh, is made of atoms, and each atom has an intelligent energy that responds to human thought. So cells are composed of atoms, tissue is composed of cells, organs are composed of tissue, and all combined form a human body. So I can give you good odds that if you have a body part, I don't care if it's a kneecap, a thyroid, a heart, a lung, a liver, or whatever, if it's hurting, not functioning properly, giving problems, I can bet you that it's not happy, it has no love, and furthermore, it doesn't want to live. There is literally an epidemic of human bodies on this planet that don't want to live. That's now, some profound. people realize it and some don't. I mean, I don't pull any punches. I just tell the people that. I say, look, I'm not telling this to scare you. I'm not telling it to hurt your feelings. I'm just telling you because it's true. Your body has lost its desire to live. Most of the time, the response is, I kind of felt that. I think that's incredibly astute and revelationary. Let's say somebody's calling you on the phone about their body and let's say organ systems, digestive problems, whatever it is. And you do the dousing and it's obvious that person is not happy or that body part is not happy. How do you then change the energy? Okay. Everything, since, since everything is energy, love and happiness are simply a form of energy. Yes, they're an emotion, but then again, every thought is a form of energy. Your, your brain emits charges of electricity for a lifetime. These charges of electricity are forms of energy. They can be directed. So all we do is invite in the spirit of love and spirit of happiness into their body, and not everybody will feel it because not everybody is sensitive, but the majority of people that I talked on the phone that I have never met before that are hundreds of miles away will feel an energy shift when I bring the spirit of love and the spirit of happiness into their body and raise their desire to live. And the way you keep your desire to live up there is simply thank your body every day. Look, if, if every body part has its own intelligence and its own emotions, I have an old hillbilly way of saying things. Your head is listening while your mouth is talking. And I tell people in class, if you have arthritic knees, do you really think they're going to get better because you cuss them? No, they ain't. They might get better because you thank them. That's very astute. Very, very astute. I have a feeling I know what you're going to say about this, but I'm going to ask you anyway for the audience. What percentage would you say is belief in the way of what can manifest with most people you meet? You mean to what degree does belief play in healing? In healing and in manifesting. I won't say a total 100% on their part. And the only reason I'm not saying it's a full 100% on their part is because if uh, last week I received a, uh email from someone I know up in Canada who had a little granddaughter uh, just a few days old that had to rush to the hospital and after the assessment at the hospital, they were going to keep her there for several days for some extensive treatment. They sent her home the next morning, said there was no reason to keep her. That little kid didn't call me. She didn't know me. She was only, she was less than a week old, but it worked. Now, was it belief on her part? No, I don't think so. Was it intent on my part? Yes, but probably also on her parents and grandparents who contacted me. My old friend, Chief Tutree, he's an old Cherokee medicine man, quite well known, born in the mountains of North Carolina, learned a lot from him. 
he had a saying. He says, what I do for people might help them 10%. What they do for themselves will be the other 90%. Well, that's very humble. I'd say the same thing, yeah. What is your perspective on collective intent being directed very specifically toward an outcome? I believe in it. It's what I call pooling our mental resources. Uh, illustration I used to give on this, if my truck got stuck in the ditch, I could push on it. I couldn't get it out. So I get a few of my friends to push one at a time and don't get it out. I could have the entire population of the state of Virginia push one at a time and still be stuck. Get five people pushed all at the same time, you'll get it out of the ditch. Okay. Uh, some fellow that they call Jesus said about the same thing one time, where two or three gathered together. I will uh, be done. Basically, you can accomplish more. Um, so, yes, I, I greatly believe in this. Right here is the problem as I see it, uh, and this is why I don't do it. Um, and that is, you have people pushing in opposite directions too much. Right. Uh, if I'm working on something, I have about three people that I work with. Sometimes if they're visiting me at the house and we work on some things. Other times it's one person on the phone, but most of the time it's just by myself. Now, do I appreciate these people? I certainly do because they, I can trust them that we are focusing in the same direction. If you've got a classroom full of people and ask me to work on something, I won't do it. Why? Because you'll always have somebody jump up and say, yes, but what about this? And and I just, I won't even fool with it. I just say, no, I'll do it alone. So if you've got everybody pushing in the same direction, the power of focused intent of the masses is extremely powerful. Matter of fact, you could change the world tomorrow if everybody had to, had the same focus at the same time. I've always felt that. I've always felt that. And I always felt that businesses were animate. They were alive and had consciousness. But they were not treated as if they were alive and had consciousness. That all matter has consciousness and energy. Well, it does. It really does. Now, I'll give you another uh, little story here. About a year ago, I believe, uh, I know it was summer down in Australia, and the Australian dowser sent me an email and, along with a picture of dry lake beds. And they said, we have a prolonged drought down here. Uh, could you help us? And all I wrote back was, invite in the spirit of the rain and thank the nature spirits. And I will go along and help you do this. It started raining within a few days, fill the lakes up. That's the real rainmaking. Yeah. That's what rainmaking really is. You invite in the spirit of rain, and you invite in the spirit of what you would call the divine. Yes, and, and, and it worked. And I don't know. I don't think they've got a real big group of dowsers down there, uh, but it don't take a whole lot of people. This old Indian I quoted a while ago, this old Apache, he made a statement one time that really caught my attention. Uh, he said... One person can change the direction of mass consciousness. I volunteered for the job. <laughs> I'll bet you there's more than you. A lot oh, more than are. you, but they may not know what they're doing. Well, that's why I send out a very simple written blunt newsletter to anybody that wants it for free. Uh, there's no hype in it. It's just real simple. I write just the way I talk. And uh, all I'm... What I'm really trying to do is wake people up to their potential. That's, that's it in a nutshell. 
What are your biggest challenges today? The biggest problem I have in teaching classes is to convince people that they can do it. I don't have a problem convincing them that I've done this stuff. I can tell them stories all day long. And they'll believe. Then they want me to do it for them. That's not the game. What I want to do is convince them that they can do it. See, I try not to have any kind of an ego. Maybe I do, but I try not to. I don't want a following. I'm nobody's guru. I don't want any titles. I just want people to get their head out of the sand and do something. And I said that as politely as I could. So what do you think is the barrier, based on your experience now, of people not being able to have the inner confidence that they can do what you do? Two things, public education and religion. Talk about because it. Because from the first day you went to school, and, the first, and I say this in class, and the first day you went to church, it's something you learned and you were taught and you were taught it well. But you never knew you were being taught that. And the truth is, most of the people teaching you didn't realize they were teaching it to you. But what you were taught was you have no personal power. You have to ask someone else for permission for everything you do. They took the power away from them whenever they believed in that. I don't believe in it. Now, that's at a schooling level, correct? It's like a meta-understanding, the meta-message. You have to ask permission mm. for everything. Is that what you're talking about from a student? Well, you use a different terminology here that I'm not sure I understand. What I'm saying is I've talked to a lot of very good people, and we'll get into some of these little deeper subjects, Well, and I'll say, well, what do you think about this? Well, I don't know. I'll have to ask my minister. There's no reason to continue the conversation because if they can't think for themselves, there's no point in talking to them. If they have to ask somebody else what they believe, okay. Uh, we, the whole system is run like this. The government's run like this. Definitely. You've always got to ask someone else for what you do. Well, see, this is a blessing of doubting. Number one, you don't leave any tracks. Number two, nobody can prove you did it. You just see what needs to be done, and you do it. You don't ask questions. You just do it. Well, you're definitely asking questions in the dousing. It's just that you're self-reliant. Yeah, but you, you're not asking for public opinion or approval. You don't need to buy a permit. Right. I get it. If you got a dangerous person like a pedophile in the community, you don't necessarily form a committee to see what to do about this. The number one thing you do is you find out if they're possessed and you depossess them. I have got a good track record that I'm really proud of on stopping serial killers and serial rapists. Talk about it. Talk about it to us. Well, okay. Uh, it goes, goes back to about '02, Tucson, Arizona. Some lady comes up to me in class and hands me a newspaper clipping that there is a serial rapist on the University of Arizona with 13 known victims. She wants to know if I'll do something about it. I said, yeah, but you owe me for it. I said, you owe me an email when you find out if anything happens or if nothing happens. I always want feedback, good, bad, or indifferent. That's how we learn. It takes four months before we ever get an email. There have been no further instances of this nature on the campus. I'm talking to the Tucson Dowsers five years later. The lady stands up in class, introduced herself, because I'd already forgot her name. And she said, there has not been another instance since you did this. Wow. This is not the only case at all. Um, I teach people how to do this. Uh, let me tell you what else can be done. And I'm really trying to get this out. I'm going to do an article on this one these days for long. And that is, we have excellent success 
at stopping wrecks on highways. Now, this gets a little far out, but you can handle it, and I hope the audience can. But there are certain spots along roadways that wrecks occur for years, and people get mangled and killed and so on. Well, according to the feedback I get, and that's all I've got to go on on any of this stuff, whenever we clean up a spot, the wrecks stop. Now, I have a friend up in Pennsylvania, Ken Bloom, and I talk about Ken and Jeff Jones. I talk about people that do things. I talk about the winners that we have we have helped out. And there was a spot on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, and I don't know where it was. I didn't, didn't even ask, but there was a fatality there almost every week. I mean, quite often. Been going on a long time. Ken cleaned the place up. It was six months before they ever had a fender bender. Wow. I mean, we know this stuff works. It may not work every time perfectly, but overall, it works. Sometimes the people are saying, well, how do you know it's going to work? Well, I can't prove anything is going to happen. All I can do is do the work that we know how to do and then observe the results. And that's it. If I waited until I had all the proof and all the evidence and all the knowledge, I would have never done anything. I don't have that yet. Probably never will. But you just use what you've got, the best of your ability, and you'll get results. One of the things I really like listening to you is that you're results-oriented. You're interested in the feedback of what happens, and you're tracking it. You're paying attention to what works, what doesn't, and it's not just out in la-la land. You're grounded about it. I really like that. I tell people there's only one reason you should believe what I have to say, and that is if it produces results. Right now, for example, there's a lot of people that are getting prompted to move from where they're living. They don't feel like they're in the right area, and dousing is something that can be used to identify what's optimal for them. How would it be used for something like that? Okay, I wanna, I'm so glad you asked that. Now, let's just tell you the listeners out there that we did not uh, uh, prearrange these questions. I didn't have a clue what you were going to ask. No, none right, of my guests do. The newsletter <laughs> is coming out in, uh, in March. It'll be out probably by the second week of March or so, so you've got plenty of time to sign up for it. There is, I've included in that one. A letter received last week from Alex Hernandez, an 18-year-old student in Kentucky who attended my class with his family, and the parents showed up first, and they said, would you go out and have supper with us tonight? Now, these folks drove all the way from up in Kentucky over into North Carolina where I was teaching last summer. They said, would you go out and have supper with us tonight because our kids want to meet and the kids were, I believe, 14, 16, 18, something like that. And I said, well, yeah, uh, uh, if you want me to go. And they said, well, our kids have your DVDs memorized. They watch them all the time. I said, in that case, I definitely want to go with you. Well, I did a class just for kids in Kingsport, Tennessee, uh, back before Christmas. These people got up and left at 4 o'clock in the morning to drive to be there. I mean, that is the kind of dedication I like to see. When I see things like this happen, I go out of my way to make sure these people got enough information. Well, what happened? In the letter that the boy writes, they were in California. They knew they needed to move, and they used dowsing to find the state, the county, 
the locality, the street, and the house. Wow. And found it. Not only that, these kids took on the school to clean the school up, and they, they did what I hadn't thought of. They programmed the water in the water fountains because they noticed hardly anybody was drinking the water. probably didn't taste good, and city water is, uh, well, it's not good quality anyway. Uh, we can talk on that in just a minute if you like. But these kids changed the energy level of the water in the water fountains and started noticing kids were filling up the water bottles to take home with them. Very exciting. So these are the kind of people I like to work with. Very, very exciting. Please read that newsletter when it comes out because you got it in his own words. I didn't edit one word out of it. First of all, kids are so great to work with. They're so open and receptive. What a Well, they don't know they can't do it. Yeah, exactly. Well, let me tell you what happened, Kim. I was talking to someone who works for environmental quality because our foundation... supports a cleanup here in the county of cleaning up rivers. And um, we have uh, cooperation of a local college, the sheriff's department, and other people that we uh, get out on a cleanup day and maybe clean up five miles of river. We got all pictures and all that stuff on our foundation site. That's one of the things that we do. And I want to talk uh, uh, about the second project here in a few minutes about stopping abuse on women and kids. But... um, we're we're getting involved uh, to a degree, not as much as we'd like, but we're we're we're, we're moving, we're getting there, uh, of getting people to clean up water and to clean up um, uh, the schools. You life can be so much better than it is if we will just make an effort to make it that way. So that's what these kids are doing. They are. Three kids are cleaning up schools, and this morning I get an email from a school administrator who's cleaning up his school. Um, it's spreading slow, but it is spreading, and it's, going, it's making a difference. How exciting. I want to go back to the application the kids were dousing about where they would be living in terms of the county, the state, and even the house. Talk us through a mini application of that. If somebody has a pendulum, what are the kinds of questions they're asking? Give a flavor for it. A I don't bit. know exactly what they did, so I'm just going to have to give you a, an opinion. Yeah, well, um, I mean, it would be something but, from your experience. Okay, okay. What, what they, I think what they did, they probably laid out a, a map of the United States and probably pointed their finger at each state, and they would ask a question, what is the result of us living here in this state? And by asking the result of, you will get an answer on a percentage scale of zero to 100%. So apparently Kentucky got 100%. And I don't know which county they lived in, but they probably went through each county uh, checking it out. Then when they got to the county, they got a county map probably off of the computer and checked out the town. Then they probably got a blow up of the town to check out the streets. I can't really speak for them, but sure. that's the logical way they would have done it because that's the way I had taught people how to find uh, someone. I found a runaway girl one time by doing that method, by using a topo map of the state of Virginia, and I even got to the uh, within a quarter of a mile of where she was. So much of the dousing is not only in the intent, but in the line of inquiry. It's in the questions that, that's being asked, which is very critical. Oh, yeah, you've got to ask the right question to get the right answer. And it has to be worded very specifically, seems like. Now, uh, for any people out there already started doubting, you might want to do this. When you ask the question, then you might want to ask, have I worded this question properly? 
And does my dowsing system understand my intent? That's fantastic. Do you ever ask, am I allowed to know this information? Occasionally, I will get something blocked that this information is not available for whatever reason. And frankly, I, I can't elaborate on that because I don't, I don't know why that is, but it does happen. I also want to be very clear. I have not been right all the time. Um, because whenever I tell success stories, people form an opinion, well, he's right all the time. No, I'm just right most of the time. So That's I never fair. like to give any impression that I'm infallible or anything like that. It's just, uh, like I say, it stacks the deck in your favor. What makes you use a bullet as part of your dousing device? I just like bullets. <laughs> I mean, people ask me, why do you wear a gun when you go to town? Because I can. Because it's a symbol of freedom. American Revolution would have never taken place with gun control. So I believe in freedom more than I believe in everything else put together. So, uh, see, I write newsletters on this every now and then, and when I do, I invariably have people write and say, take us off your mailing list. Quite frankly, that's the way I clean my mailing list. Understood. Look, I'm the only metaphysical speaker, if I could be called that. I don't. I mean, that's a general term that I don't even claim to be, but I speak at a lot of metaphysical gatherings over the years and dowsing conferences. I'm the only person who's written a book and put his picture on the front page wearing a 357 Magnum. <laughs> you have a great sense of humor. You had me laughing when I was listening to What You See is What You Get, the Coptic Conference in <laughs> Johnson City, Tennessee. If you're uh, laughing, and, you're learning. Oh my God, you are funny. You were talking about people being victims it was the part when you talked about one of the things that's a very clear message when you walk around with your gun is that you're not a victim. That's right. <laughs> that People just, are really nicer to you when you wear a gun. Can I tell you, that broke me up. Oh, my God, that was funny. <laughs> that was very, very funny. Let's talk about how you're helping abused people. Talk a little bit about that. Okay, I'll be glad to. Uh, but uh, before I do, I want to... Uh, tell the folks, uh, you can get a longer version of what I'm going to say here for free at your convenience by going to RaymondGraceFoundation.org, click on what we do, and there will be a, an eight-segment video come up called Blueprint for Freedom. Now, this is why I made that film. Uh, in a class a few years back, there was a lady that made a statement, "You, my brother needs to talk to you, and I said, why? He is the CEO of a foundation that works with um, torture victims. He would like to expand it to work with uh, human trafficking. Now, I knew so little about this matter that I didn't even know what human trafficking was. I thought it was people riding a Greyhound bus or a taxi cab. I didn't know it was slave trade. So I had, I had to explain that to me. I said, well, tell him to call me. I'll talk to him. So one day I get a call from Europe and... Uh, I picked the fellow's brain a little bit, uh, and as to what caused it or this, and I just tried to get some information. How uh, prevalent is it? Uh, where is it the worst? And so on. And after the conversation goes on a few minutes, I said, well, look, I am willing to help you, uh, but I do require feedback. I'm not going to charge you anything. I just want to help you. So where would be a spot that I could work on for you and you would be able to determine if anything had happened. 
And he gave me the name of a small country over in the Middle East, and I won't disclose. Uh, he said, we have a number of people observing what goes on there. And he said, this human trafficking goes to the highest level of government, and you really can't trust anybody. I said, well, I don't need anybody to work with to trust, so uh, I'll just see what I can do. Let me know. Well, two and a half months later, he, his sister calls me. I never heard from the man again. I, frankly, I think I scared him, but I really didn't mean to. All I really wanted to do was help him. But the, the message I got was that the human trafficking in that one particular little country had decreased dramatically, and those that were observing it couldn't, they, they didn't know why. They didn't know what was going on. Because I asked this fellow, what is your organization doing to stop this? He said, we're observing it, monitoring it. I said, but what are you doing to stop it? We don't know how to stop it. I said, well, give me a shot at it. Well, the feedback I got encouraged me that this stuff works. Well, I thought it would. I just didn't know if I could make it work in in an area that big with people that hadn't even asked for help uh, any more than talking to the CEO. But I thought, well, we'll try it. And it worked. And I think, okay. Uh, I was asked if I could go over there and teach. And I said, no, I have no desire to go over there. I don't travel to foreign countries. And it's expensive for them to come over here. So the most economical way to dispense information is to film it or record it as we're doing here today. I mean, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to say this to all your listeners out there. So we filmed it and we called it Blueprint for Freedom. Well, we filmed it, edited, produced it, and had it in 10 countries in three days, and I spent less than $1,000. That's how time and money efficient that our foundation works. You know why? Because we don't have a committee. So we want to do something, we just do it. And I was having a meeting one day uh, with some bankers, and they want to know what I did, because I showed up at the meeting wearing a gun belt. <laughs> lady said she was a little uncomfortable with it. I said, don't worry, ma'am, you'll get used to it. Everybody else does. So they asked me, what do you do? And I told them basically what I just told you. Um, I make films, I write books, I talk, I talk to anybody that'll listen. And they said, how did you do that? And I said, the same way God created the earth in six days and rested on the seventh, I don't have a committee. They said, well, who did you ask? I said, ask. I didn't need to ask anybody. They said, how big a crew did you have? I said, two. Had a girl to do the filming for me, my friend Faye Henry. Had, uh, she does the editing and the production and gets it out there. I did the talking. I don't need anybody else. They couldn't quite comprehend it. It's a simplicity that people can't comprehend. The world has been too complicated. Anyway, I sold enough of the um, uh, physical DVDs to actually make a profit on doing the film. So now we've been able to put it out there to 52 countries and actually made a profit selling DVDs which we can use to do other stuff, like buy pizzas for all the college kids that comes out to clean up a river one day uh, and thank them for coming out there. And uh, just, I mean, we just do simple stuff, but it, uh, and we don't spend much money. Uh, we, we spend some sometimes on things, but um, generally speaking, we work very money and time efficiently. I realized then that most people were like myself, didn't know what human trafficking was. And they certainly didn't weren't involved in it. And they didn't know anybody that was, so they wouldn't be interested in that. 
Now, I don't mean to be rude, but frankly, the general public does not connect the dots very well. And I realize that they would not realize that the same factors that contributed to human trafficking was the same factors, identical, that contributed to schoolyard bullies, sexual harassment in the office, abuse in nursing homes, jails, and hospitals. It's the same thing. It just applied differently and it's in a different place. Only difference is there you're not selling people. It's just people getting abused. Okay, but the, but the underlying principles are still the same. So that's why I had to refilm it, and I said in the film what I just said. And this is the way it works. We figured if we could create a film that could change the energy of water sitting in front of a TV set, which we have, Matter of fact, I got the word back from Sedona, Arizona, that it cleaned up an entire aquarium, a big aquarium in the house. When they finished playing the film and looked in the water in the aquarium, was crystal clear. And we've, we've had that, that thing happen a few times before. But if we could create a film to do that, we can create a film that will change the energy anywhere on planet Earth. Very. Here is the critical fact. The person watching the film has to have the mentality and the intent to direct the energy that I am producing to wherever they want it to go. Now, all you listeners out there, you can do this. That's not going to cost you any money. You don't have to tell anybody what you're doing. Simply go there to RaymondGraceFoundation.org, click on what we do, and as, as I work, uh, as you watch this on your computer, write down the name of a woman's battered women's shelter, a hospital, a jail, a nursing home, a school, Whatever's important to you and your family, put it in front of the computer, and all this is far as so your left brain will believe it's doing something. Do I need it? No, you do. So, have the intent that everything I'm doing in that film is being applied to your project. And that was our contribution to the world. That and cleaning up water. We don't have a shortage of information of how to solve these problems. We have a shortage of people willing to take the initiative to put these methods to use. Indeed. Can you speak a little bit about what you see is what you get? That's so important. The the thing about it, Kim, I've never read my own books or watched my own films or or listened to my own CDs. (laughs) I don't really remember what I said. I remember one particular story, which I will gladly share with you, and that was the family that I took on to help. I, I was a, some, vaguely acquainted with this family of a man, woman, and two little girls, I think maybe seven, eight years old, maybe younger. And I had been to their place one time, and they lived in an old rusty trailer, sitting under high-tension power lines with about a $100 car. And they really had trouble putting food on the table. But they were good people. They were just dirt poor. Well, I like to help people that's willing to help themselves. So I was doing a class up near my place. These folks lived about 70 miles away, so I called them one day, and I said, you know, I'd like to really offer you and your family something. I'll be glad to give you free tickets to the class. No obligation except one. You have to use what you learn to help your family. If you're willing to do this, you come on. I'll even, I'll, we'll feed you. We'll give you a place to stay. We'll give you a class. Everything. No charge whatsoever. But you've got to use it to help your family. 
And if you're willing to do this, you're very welcome. If you're not, don't show up. It's not negotiable. I mean, diplomacy is not one of my faults. So, anyway, uh, they showed up. And, yeah, we were glad to have them. Nice folks. And I ran into the man about six months later, and I happened to be in the town where they lived, and ran into him one day and said, I, I, didn't, I didn't ask him, how's the family? All I did was look him in the eye and say, are you making any money? Big grin come on his face. He said, I'm making more money than I ever made in my life. He said, opportunities open up that I did not have any idea existed. And I said, well, you were a good investment of my time. I'm really proud of you. I got invited to a place one time to talk to the homeless. And I will never do it again, but I, I, did, I want to do it one time to see if it would work. It didn't work, so I, I will not do it again. But anyway, in order to try to make a decent presentation and really help people, I called this lady and I said, um, I was down at your house for the New Year's party, and I noticed you don't live in the same place. You've got a very nice modular home. They were on 10 acres of land with a creek in the backyard, two cars, a horse in the corral for the kids to ride. I said, your living standards have been greatly upgraded. I want you to tell me how you did it. They said, we followed your directions. I said, no, I want specifics because I'm going to be talking to some more down and out people, and I want to see, use you as an example, see if we can pick them up. So she said, well, the first thing I had to do, I had to realize I was not a victim. As long as I thought I was a victim, she said, I attracted everything that made me a victim. So that was the first thing I had to do, was get over being a victim. Basically, get rid of my victim mentality, victim archetypes. She said, we didn't have any money, but we went car shopping anyway. That's we brilliant. found the car. We couldn't even make a down payment on it. But the dealership sold it to us with no down payment at a monthly payment we could afford. Then we got another deal on another car. Then I think somebody had a horse they wanted to give away. And she said, do you know how much we pay for this place? She said, we just rent it, but you know what we pay for it? I said, well, no, I don't, but land around there probably runs $10,000 an acre, and you got 10 acres. She said, we pay a dollar a year just to make it legal. The folks moved away and wanted somebody to watch the place, so for a dollar, uh, I believe it was a dollar a year, we, uh, we pay uh, a dollar a year, a dollar a month, whichever it was. That's what we pay. This, this is a classic description and example of manifesting. Absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. When are your classes? Where are your classes? Are you teaching oh, again? There's a schedule. I'm still working on getting this schedule together this year. Uh, go to RaymondGrace.us, uh, and there's a schedule there. And uh, it sometimes changes. Sometimes I get invited somewhere really quickly, and they've already got a group together, and then sometimes... Uh, we, for one reason or another, we need to cancel a place. But when we do, we take it off the site. You know, that's that's my schedule for the year. It, it will continue. I will, we'll probably work through October this year. In the way that you energize and clean water and environments and schools and work with people in their lives, can you clean the government? I haven't been able to do it on a large scale. I have in some places... And I, I have to be discreet about this. Uh, I, I really can't tell you where on the air, but uh, one sheriff uh, sent me word one time. He said, since you cleaned up my office, I can finally hire somebody 
that can pass the drug test. He said before I couldn't even get an applicant, applicant that would pass. There was another sheriff in another county uh, called one time and said, are you working on corruption? I said, yeah, I'm trying. Why? He said, I kind of thought so. He said, I can see it making a major difference. And said it goes to the state level. Um, there is another state that a senator asked if I would clean up the state Senate. And I said, I'll be glad to do that. And the governor made a statement saying, what in the world has happened? We haven't elected any new people. But last year we argued all the time. This year we're getting along. Something definitely has happened. (laughs) Do you find that when law enforcement or people in political circles call upon you for help, they don't want anybody to know that they're calling upon you, that they want it kind of quiet? In most cases, that is true. And it has to be very discreet? Uh, Yes. Uh, Not only that, it's the same thing uh, with the um, email I got this morning, which I put in my future newsletter. I did not use the man's name nor the location. Correct. Uh, So, yes, I always protect these people um, because I appreciate what they're doing and what they're trying to do, and I do not wish to cause them any kind of problem at all. Don't you find it's encouraging that law enforcement and governors and senators and people in political circles are opening up to this vis-a-vis to you? Uh, Yes, I find this extremely encouraging. Um, But here again, Kim, we are living in a time where you're going to see a lot of changes like this. See, I've been in this business since 1973. Now, that's when I first got exposed to this type of thing. And then I took it and run with it. I have studied mind development. I have studied and taught some shamanism. I used this stuff to develop some healing methods. And then what really was the turning point was when I learned dowsing, I find I could integrate all these things together. It's really a fast track, isn't it? It really is indeed. Now, I... uh, I can teach so much more now than I could when I started teaching 20 years ago. I would say I can probably cram as five times as much into a weekend class as I could in 1990. And how many people are usually in your classes, Raymond? Oh, I don't ever get a whole lot of people. Um, 10, 20? No, I won't won't hardly do one for 10 unless they're right here at home. Uh, This weekend, I did one. Uh, and it was mostly, I did this one kind of as a service to the community, really, of just inviting in some local people. It was like to introduce them to, uh, basically introduce them to an alternative way of thinking. But the word got out, and I had eight people show up, and I did this in a place that has two stop signs. There's not even a traffic light, wow. not even a gas station in town. Wow. And they came from as far away as Austin, Texas. I think I counted up eight states. Uh, people made states get up. Let's talk about droughts. You know about the drought in Texas, since you're mentioning Texas. I know about it, um, and I don't doubt that human intent can change this. Um, I don't claim to have all the answers on this by any means, but let me just tell a story here. Please. My daughter April was getting married in June, and as soon as she told me that the wedding was going to be outside, 
I had a feeling we're going to get rain. And I said, April, you need a backup plan. She said, you're it. So sure enough, it was raining it. And I got on the computer, looked at the weather radar. There was a major rainstorm coming this way, just would hit about the time of the ceremony. Well, now, we've had a light rain about most of the day. It's still raining. I go out there, and I talk to the spirit of the rain, and I take my belt knife off, and I split the clouds, and just for good measure, I take a double-bit axe and stick in the ground. That's a trick I learned from my old friend Chief Two Trees. Well, we parked the cars almost a quarter of a mile from where the ceremony was going to be down by the riverbank. And matter of fact, Kim, if you'll remind me, I'll send you pictures of it. I'd love it. Um, all you got to do is ask, and I'll email you a whole bunch of them. Well, anyway, we walked down there in the rain, and as soon as the people came in and sat down, we had 100 plastic chairs sitting out there, they noticed something. They see raindrops falling in the river 20 feet in front of them. It's falling in the hay field behind them, but it's not raining where they are. <laughs> That's great. Until some dummy comes along and pulls an axe out of the ground. And my brother happened to see him, and he yells at him, put the axe back, and the goofy character didn't realize where he met, so my brother had to take it away from him and stick the axe back in the ground because when he pulled it out, it started raining. So when my brother put the axe back in the ground, the rain stopped. Now, this is a trick I learned from my old buddy Chief Tutrius many years ago. He told a story about bailing hay, and he said there was a storm coming up, clouds and coming in, thunder and lightning, and the fellow's working for him. said, Chief, it's going to rain. We better quit here. This hay's going to get wet. He said, nah, keep on working. We're going to make it. He said, the time we got the last uh, bale of hay, uh, on the, he said, the rain had already crossed over the mountain, thunder and lightning all around us, and all the farm help said, Chief, rain's going to come. It's going to get the hay wet. All the hay is going to rot. No, nah, boys, don't worry about it. Go on home. Come back in the morning. We'll put the hay in the ground, in the barn. He said the next morning, they came back in the hayfield and said it rained on all four sides of the hayfield, but not a drop fell on the hay. I said, that's really interesting. Chief had you do that. He said, I stuck an axe in the ground. I said, you may have laid the wisdom of the universe on me, but I don't get it. What's an axe got to do with it? He said, oh, you got to have a double bit axe. One blade goes in the ground, one blade goes up to split the clouds. I've told that story all over North America, U.S. and Canada. And I have gotten a lot of stories back of people that have used this trick to stop the rain and stop snow and hailstorms and everything else. Again, it's simply a tool that causes your left brain, the logical side of your brain, to believe that you're doing something. There was not one bit of difference in that axe stuck in the ground and me using a bullet pendulum. All they're both just tools to increase our belief system. You know why you have ceremonies? Now I'm not, I'm not uh, making fun of anybody. There are ceremonies I've done them myself. Probably might do some more. But no matter what kind of a ceremony it is, religious, Native American, whatever, the purpose of the ceremony is to focus your mind. If you can focus your mind, you don't need the ceremony. Isn't it also to call in the creative juices of the universe? Well, it probably is, and it works. Now, like I say, I'm, I'm not bad-mouthing this stuff at all. I'm just saying the power of a focused mind is really about all that's needed. Understood. Understood. 
Very, very interesting. So when you spoke to the person about calling upon the spirit of the rain, talk more about that. Translate what you mean by the spirit of the rain. Okay, let's just start with water. Water has a spirit. Now, um, not all water that is wet has the spirit of water in it. This is why your city water has very low energy. Uh, and rain is simply water coming, falling out of the sky instead of coming out of a kitchen faucet. The difference is the water falling out of the sky literally has a spirit. Everything does. The trees, the grass, the sky, but and, and the water. Well, I found I could communicate with the spirit of water. Not only that, it seemed to be glad to communicate with me. And let me tell you how I learned this. I was uh, teaching a class one time at Ozark Research Institute, just making a talk on water. And I told everybody, as I do in every class, that you folks bring some water, a bottle of water, into class, and I will show you how to energize it. Well, all the people had water with a red label on it. I won't give the names. That might not be a good idea. I do in my classes, but I won't hear and one person had a um, bottle with a blue label on it. Well, I didn't really pay any attention at the time, and I started through the little, short little process of showing them how to raise the energy of the water, and I realized that something is not right. I could just feel it. And there was a water technician sitting on the front seat, and when he had come in that day, he introduced himself, and he said, the reason I'm here is my wife came home yesterday telling me about a class she attended here and a bottle of unopened water. And he said, I am a water technician, and I tested this water because I knew the brand, and I knew that it had eight grains of hardness per gallon. It was not perfectly pure. He said, when I tested this water, it was perfectly pure. There was nothing in there. And he said, I want to see what you're doing. So whenever I made a statement, hey, folks, there's something wrong. I can't raise the energy in that blue bottle box there. And he kind of grinned and nodded his head. I'm thinking, he knows something I don't know. So I kind of tuned in to try to figure out what I could do. I'm standing up in front of 30 people, and I don't want to stand there looking silly because I'm trying to show them something. And all it was that occurred to me that bottle does not have the spirit of water in it. And I said that. And again, he grinned and nodded his head. I said, and the reason it doesn't is because the spirit of greed. Now, I learned it in less time than it took me to just tell you about it. What I found was that greed is simply a, an emotion. It is a form of energy. And we can remove it. So I took the spirit of greed out of it. How? Simply by intent. When I did that, I could invite in the spirit of the water, and the water would come in that, in that bottle, and we could energize it then. So most of the folks out there listening, get your water out of the kitchen sink. I can tell you, it's very low-quality water. Definitely. Because it has the spirit of greed in it, plus it has chlorine and fluoride and God knows what all else in it. Exactly. Now, I don't, I'm no expert on this, but I have heard that Hitler put fluoride in, all, in the water and all the pounds that he took over to make the people uh, uh, docile, docile, yeah, uh, so they wouldn't fight back. Well, we might need some people out there thinking about why do you have fluoride in your water. So anyway, 
um, we created what I call a mental water filter that can take the, well, actually all it does is it shows people how to put a mental filter on their water. Now, that one is available on the foundation site. I just gave that one away. We've got one guy up in Connecticut that's been going through the community talking to his neighbors, putting on a mental water filter. He plays that DVD and he directs it to their house. And he took the chlorine out of the water, and he's boggling their mind because there's no, nothing physical there that they can believe in. I mean, he's having a lot of fun with this. So I, I, do I think anybody can do it? Well, not everybody has an equal belief system, and that's why we create films. We actually do lectures and do classes and so on to show people how to do things, but for those who just don't want to do it or think they can't learn or don't want to do it or too lazy, we actually create films that does farm. I want to talk about a very sensitive subject having to do with the spraying of our air. Do you know what I'm referring to? I know what you're referring to. I don't know much about it, right, but except let, let that me... I do believe that we as human, intelligent human beings have the ability to change the quality of air as we can change the quality of water. Okay, that's what I'm getting to. There's a very consistent, powerful, global, daily, multifaceted, multilayered, networked, spraying project that goes on to spray virulent chemicals into our air. It's getting on the food, it's getting on the land, it's getting in our water, people are breathing it, etc. So, with respect to this, in the meantime, can you suggest how we might use our focused intent to transmute that poisonous stuff into something else, energetically? Oh, man. Kim, I don't really think there is a difference in doing that and what I did with taking arsenic out of water. Also, we received a water analysis report from a lady in Petaluma, California, who had her water tested before and after we worked on it, and we were able to remove, uh, in the first 30 days, 50% of the pollutants, and then the following 30 days, 50% of that figure. Now, that was a, one of our earlier cases when we didn't know nearly as much about it as we do now. So, um, I can't tell you where this is because I don't know much about my own websites. I have three sites out there, uh, the RaymondGrace.us, RaymondGraceProjects.com, and RaymondGraceFoundation.org, and this may be on the project site. But we have somewhere a CD of me energizing water, very briefly. Uh, and all I need to say here, I think, is the same principle can be uh, done uh, with air. But to answer your question, those listening right now, I use the term, and I just kind of borrowed it from scrambling TV channels. I figured if they can do it, I can do it for something else. <laughs> so I scramble the frequency of all of the chemical biological, radiological pollutants, and would turn it into pure air. Now, that's the terminology. And again, again, it's done with intent. I'm not going to tell anybody they have to use a dial, uh, be a dowser to do this or have to use any instruments. I'm saying that these are good tools, but can you do it with your mind? Yes, I believe you can. Now, and I recall a situation several years ago in California when there, where there was a room in a house was real musty, it was abnormally hot in the summer, abnormally cold in the winter, and it just 
not good quality air. I simply ask to scramble the frequency of the pollutants of the air in that room and give it the smell and feeling and qualities of fresh mountain air. And next morning, that's exactly what it felt like. Did you speak that, or did you just intend and No, ma'am, I, I just did it mentally. Wow. Again, it can all be summed up in one word, intent. Right. So the way to focus your intent is to reach a relaxed state of mind, and in order to keep it real simple and real brief, it's nothing more than daydreaming. We literally daydream in an alpha brain frequency, and the alpha brain frequency is where the power of intent is. There's not really any more that needs to be said on that. How do you get into alpha? Uh, relax your body and think about something pleasant. I have a CD called Medicine Place that is based entirely on Native American philosophy done with a drum. That will put you there. Okay. What do you think about the possibility that intent is an invisible muscle of consciousness that's always available to us, but we don't necessarily oh. know it's there? Yes, yes. See, according to my friend Ed Stillman out in Sedona, who done some uh, brain frequency research, he found that thousands simultaneously function in all brain frequency, that is, beta, alpha, theta, and delta. So the more time that a person spends doubting, the more time a person spends visualizing, the more time you're going to spend in the alpha frequency, or another way of saying it, you're adding power to your thoughts, and another way of saying it, you are on the same frequency as universal intelligence. It's all saying the same thing. Clear. Clear. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Is there anything else you'd like to say, Raymond? Well, no, we covered quite a bit of stuff here this morning. <laughs> I want to thank you for the opportunity to allow me to say it and for the opportunity uh, of just, just speaking to the audience out there. And um, I do have one parting uh, message for the audience. Uh, whether you think you can't or whether you think you can, you're right. The next one is if you keep on doing what you're doing, you're going to keep on getting what you get. Raymond Grace, it's a pleasure to have you on the show from the spirit of its rainmaking time and in the spirit of the rain. It's a real honor. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Have a good day.